The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. Mark Warner is here, international trade lawyer. Laura Babcock is with Power Group Communications and the host of The O Show. Khaled Iwamura is the founder of Insaga.com, where you can learn about all things Mississauga. Good to have you all this morning, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Um, just in the last couple of minutes, we'll start with the fresh stuff, I guess. The OPP saying they're turning over the investigation into the Greenbelt. Uh, they're turning that over to the RCMP because there might be a conflict with the OPP. Let me start with the lawyer and the guy who's actually worked for the provincial government, so that would be Mark Warner. Mark, I mean, you know, this is not necessarily somebody smashing the glass and pulling the fire alarm button. It's just a change of jurisdiction. Yeah, I mean, it's good practice. I mean, one of the advantages in the United States that they have when they do these things is you have the FBI that rolls in. We don't really have anything all that close to that. So the closest you come is the RCMP, and and they're only called in on an invitation basis when there's a perceived conflict of interest. Um, So I think that's a good move for the province. I'm not sure what to read into it. I mean, uh, not all governments are all that They're not always that eager to um, sort of pass the torch onto another force independent force to investigate it but it's it sounds like a smart move here and um so uh, you know i'm not we don't have a huge record of any of these uh you know police investigations leading to uh, you know massive takedowns of ultimate political figures we tend to drop them in canada at the more junior people whereas you know in the american investigations the whole idea is to roll the person at a junior level to convict the person at the higher level it just never really seems to happen here so you know we'll see maybe this time it'll be different if there's something to be different about and if i'm not mistaken mark one last quick question for you the head of the opp the commissioner is appointed by the premier so i could certainly see how there'd be a conflict there yeah, no, these, look, you know, conflicts of interest are things that, that uh, we have our Canadian uh, mark of distinction, right? It's so uh, we have a, I've always said to people, the hardest thing about returning to practice law in Canada for me is just the weird ideas of conflicts of interest in Canada. Sometimes we choose to look at them, sometimes we don't. Um, you know, we have a complete blind eye to a mayor who's receiving money from a telecoms company for eight years and doesn't bother anybody. Nobody cares about what's going on at the federal level. We still don't have a clue about these contracts that might hand out the door. But now this is tied to the green belt, which people think is a nice, sexy issue. So now all of a sudden, the people who have no interest in conflicts of interest now join my side. So I'm a bit, uh, <laughs> I don't know quite what to do with this stuff, but that's it. That's where we are. Let me turn to Khaled then. And the latest, uh, that's the latest development from this morning. But the sexier story certainly would be the chief of staff to the housing minister departed yesterday. We don't know the exact circumstances, but I think this was inevitable. What do you think? Uh, well, yeah, it was inevitable, but uh, I think it is, uh, we're seeing a new trend here that uh, they're throwing uh, staffers underneath the bus so a non-elected official can get canned uh, to clean up the mess. Uh, we've seen this uh, over in the last couple of months with, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, a horrible criminal getting transferred to a, a prison and stuff like that. Uh, medium prism but uh, yeah it looks like this is uh, a new trend where you know a staffer gets the run underneath the bus and hopefully it gets cleaned up well laura babcock that's where it starts because they're trying to staunch the blood but i'm pretty sure the housing minister is going to be made to walk the plank as well 
Yeah, I don't think this stops until it gets to Ford's feet. I mean, there's 8.3 billion reasons why people in Ontario, to use Mark's words, think this is a sexy issue. It isn't sexy per se, but it is certainly incredibly infuriating because people know what wrong looks like, John. (laughs) They just do. They not only know what wrong looks like in terms of making a promise that you won't take these protected private lands and put them into development and then going ahead and doing it, but doing it with envelopes at a table, going bypassing all trans transparency and best practice for what under some excuse that you had oops went too fast my bad Uh, and then their response to this whole thing is where this is getting bigger by the day rather than saying yeah you know what uh we shouldn't have done it that way to be on the up and up let's redo this process instead of doing that they say yeah we'll do all 14 of the 15 recommendations from the ag the 15th being the one we all care about which is to put that land back in for the sake of our children's future so in ontario this is not going to end until it ends at the feet of the premier because there is simply no way on the biggest file and the biggest policy reversal of his government that he was not aware about those lands that were being prioritized. 92% of those lands going through that dinner. Give me a break. Mark Warner, do you think the minister is going to be made to walk the plank or are people going to lose interest? You know, John, I think people don't have a huge attention span for what you used to call process issues, right, in Canada. Yeah. That's why no, nobody ever seems to resign for anything. I mean, there was a day back when we were younger when ministers resigned. I think another story we're going to talk about today is the Minister of Finance or the speeding offense. I mean, things like that would usually get you out of cabinet in the past. But uh, we're in this weird day, modern media cycles or whatever, where governments seem to be able to write it out and Ministerial accountability, as um, Khaled said, is, is is gone, and um, people can communicate their way out of a wet paper bag, and, uh, <laughs> and that's where we are. Okay, so let's move to the finance minister, also the deputy prime minister, Christia Freeland. She was uh, in Alberta, which is where she's actually from. She doesn't live there anymore, but she was in Alberta, presumably in a rental or borrowed car, and she was caught speeding. Khaled, is that uh, is that career ending? Absolutely not. She she was in a hurry. <laughs> she had to get to probably another event, and uh, she got caught. And uh, I think I think that's a story. I think that's it. <laughs> okay. Well, Mark, let me come back to you for a second because, I mean, a lot of the people right now saying that's it. Call you know call her on the carpet. Uh, maybe make her resign. Whatever. Hundred and thirty two kilometers an hour. Most of us have done that. Sure, we have, John, but I mean, there's a principle. They, they, we look for a high... First of all, why, why didn't she have a driver? That's that She has yeah. a driver who goes everywhere. Well, she would have had to there's fly a driver of, with her. Really, there are no drivers in Alberta. I guess I, I find that hard to believe. I'm not sure that's how it really works with the federal government. Their federal government does have offices in Alberta. They haven't been run out of town completely yet. Uh, they may come. <laughs> so that's uh, that, that, that doesn't uh, pass the smell test to me. But look, I think we have ministers. Uh, we we want to hold them accountable. They, they want to... You know, we take this issue seriously, right? We have mothers against drug driving is always t- talking about zero tolerance. And, um, you know, the minister's not making a public statement on it. She's a very voluble minister, but seems to have disappeared on this one, left it to a spokesperson. Uh, you know, some discrepancy about the extent to which uh, she was speeding a, a, a faster. I, I do find this story a bit weird, but she, she'll walk, she'll skate. And look, when you make exceptions because you like the politicians color uh, of their you know of their team colors then uh, you know the next time it happens to the other guy they say well i'm not going to walk either so you've really got to be principled about these things like the last story we talked about either 
take this sort of issue or conflicts of interest seriously or basically it's all out the window, which is generally where we are now, I think, in Canada. Laura Babcock, I know you like nice cars. I don't know if you like speeding in them. Unfortunately, I have a couple of tickets myself, so I'm not going to throw, you know, I'm not going to be a hypocrite here, but I don't speed anymore. I got a speed limiter on my new car and I make sure I set it in every single speed zone that I'm in so I don't make that mistake. Uh, Listen, she sped. And even though it's not a huge amount, especially for people who drive in the GTHA on those highways, it's still speeding. She's still a high profile minister. Uh, I think, you know, pay the ticket. There is no inference anywhere of anything to do with any kind of drunk driving or any kind of alcohol involved. She just went over the speed limit and she should pay for it and she should say something about it. Set a good example, right? If you're going to be in a leadership position, people look up to you on a whole host of things. And when you make a mistake, you should also speak to it directly. Uh, Let's turn to uh, crime, and it's not even punishment because it is being put in jail, but it's before you even get tried. And Mark, I'll start with you again on this one because you are the lawyer. Um, But a chief of police at a convention delivered a speech about how if we want to get stricter with bail conditions, then we have to balance that against the fact that it's more likely that black people and indigenous people are going to be jailed pre-trial than white people. Unfortunately, I think that's probably true, um, you know, and that's why we wouldn't want to um, to to remove the sort of bail conditions across the board. I, I have, uh, you know, a pretty strong civil liberties type background and background in police shooting and police misconduct and views about that. But where I draw the line, I really do have a zero tolerance view of gun violence. I, because the victims of gun violence are often people from the very same communities that uh, of, the, of the person who's being granted bail. And, and so I just, the way I balance it out in my head is, uh, no, I, I, I just, uh, I, I will, will defend uh, anyone accused for anything, but um, when it gets to the gun violence, I just, you lose me on that. I see no reason for anyone to have a handgun and be popping it off and hurting innocent people from their own community. So, yes, I do think we have to get much stricter on bail. And yes, it will have a consequence on some communities. And, you know, that's why, just one last thing, that's why I would love to know whether a breathalyzer test was administered to this minister, because that probably would have happened if it were a black person driving the car. So we need to be consistent in how we apply the rules here. Laura Babcock, your thoughts? Well, I think that we do need to have stronger bail conditions. We saw too many examples of people who had been out on bail multiple times. Uh, One particular is that young boy who was stabbed to death, I believe, at the subway in Toronto, and that was just heartbreaking not too long ago. So do we need to make sure that offenders, repeat offenders, stay in jail until their trials? Yes, I think we do, especially when it comes to violent offenders. To the point that it might disproportionately further marginalize groups, I think that's where um, we have the balance that they're advocating for in this discussion, which is to not just have, it it reminds me, and this is obviously not a direct uh, correlation, but to that three strikes you're out idea in the U.S., where, you know, third time, that's it, even if it was a minor offense or something. I think it's really important that we not apply anything quite that brutally, that we have stronger bail conditions, but that they also look at the case of the person standing in front of them uh, and whether or not there's some other mitigating factors where they should have some more consideration. Is anybody on the panel buying the idea that there is such a thing as time blindness? There's a woman arguing in the workplace that she's late for things because she suffers from time blindness, which she compares to dyslexia, for example. Uh, Khaled, I'd say, no, you're just rude and inconsiderate. Is uh, sorry, is time blindness real? 
Is it? Yeah. That, yeah. Well, that's what, so that's what people, people are with arguing. ADHD have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then there absolutely should be accommodations for the uh, this girl. So uh, yeah, I've, I. Uh, I live with, a, a, you know, obviously my son uh, has autism and uh, there's a lot of things that he has to do that um, needs accommodations and um, a lot of people don't see it. So if, if this is real, absolutely, the issue should uh, have accommodations for this. Although, Laura, many people who do, I mean, if it's a genuine thing, many people who live with some sort of oddity in their brain have come up with a system to deal with it. So maybe that's what people with time blindness need to do. Yeah, I read further in the article and it talks about that it is something that occurs in studies of people with ADHD and I have someone with ADHD in my family and it makes a lot of sense, right? The the difficulty of, of watching time and completing tasks on time, it's an extra struggle for them. So uh, what kind of accommodation does that look like? Does it look like the person and has to set up a system or just let their employer know that this is one of the things that they they deal with and that you know put a little bit of balance around how punitive it is when they're they're late this is very different than people who are chronically late or rude or just don't care about other people's feelings you know this is something that if this person has adhd then yes they should have a conversation about it in the workplace thank you all good to have you this morning that's round one khalid iwamura and mark warner and laura babcock round two coming your way less than 45 minutes from from now, but right now it's time for the news.